0: The truth is that you don't get to show them the movie with all those, the, those excuses. You just have to show them a movie and it has to work. You have to fix a problem. And then it's how creative can you be?
1: Hello, my fellow Martians. My name is Harry Mars, and this is the On Mars Pod, where we take a deep dive into creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and other inspiring Martians alike
0: especially the one with Neo and the Matrix, is uh, kind of like a camera dolly that's moving really quickly. They're the only visual system that can capture a fleeting moment from multiple angles at the same exact time. That's, that's what makes me an expert at bullet time.
1: Hello, my fellow Martians. Today on Mars, we are joined by a professional filmmaker, a business owner, and one of the smartest people I know. Everybody, welcome. Christian Ciceroni. Thank you for being here today, brother. Thank you for having me. Of course, bro. So on Mars, we take a deep dive into creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and other inspiring Martians alike. Uh, so I'm super stoked for this conversation, man, because you have your hands in a lot of different things. Uh, you're a producer, you're a filmmaker, you're an engineer. Um, You you own a company with your dad that's like doing crazy technology that you've been working on for years. Um, So there's just like a lot of topics that that we've talked about off air that I'm just really stoked to get into on air, dude. So thank you for being
0: here. Yeah, yeah. There's and there's and that's kind of like the story of my life is like doing all of these different things and then and trying to figure out how to uh, make sense of that and it ultimately results in like strange businesses. That's like the combination of like you know uh, uh visual imagery and also engineering and and automation and it's just sort of like a mix and of all which of your is passion. which is great yeah because yeah. i i really enjoy that um but uh finding like the crossroads between you know different um uh sort of uh practices and and uh interests of mine has uh has yeah been like the story of my life for 10 years essentially so
1: dude i love that man i mean that's like i guess <laughs> The dream, in lack of a better term, you know, it's just, like, kind of taking all your passions and, like, being able to weave them into, like, a lifestyle in a way where it's just, like, everything that you do involves things that you've always had, like, passions about, in a Mm way, um... Which is sick, dude. Um, So I do kind of want to dial like dial in on beginnings, though. You know what I mean? Because we both grew up in the Midwest, Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of talk about like growing up in Michigan. Like what were your early passions? Like were you playing, you know, video games, watching movies? What was
0: what was going on in the house? Growing up in Michigan was really interesting because you get all four seasons. Yes. And so I feel like uh when i was a kid i remember the the thing that was so distinct to me was like waiting for the next season i just remember like it being winter and waiting for summer and then it being summer and sort of like getting excited about like it being winter christmas yeah building building a snowman sledding you know all uh snowmobiling that's something that i used to do a lot of when i was a kid i loved snowmobiling once i got my hands on a snowmobile uh I was like maxing out the throttle oh to the point God. where it was like so actually dangerous, dangerous. that's like yeah, like so dangerous. I think bro. for the first year, I was like really hesitant, but then every year after that, it was like full throttle, and so uh we actually we actually did this thing where like we my mom would drive really slow in the and so we'd we'd have her in the back. it, it was fine, I could see yeah, you. it was it's fine, you know, but like she would drive. She would go pretty slow. She would keep up <laughs> with everybody. But it was like, you know, I'm one of those guys that like wanted to take the turn really hard. Yeah. And then I'll like slow down to, for everybody else to catch up. <laughs> but like, I want <laughs> to so, go fast. And, and so we, no, we couldn't be stuck behind her. Right. So that's okay. She would, she would <laughs> right. be in the back. But what was funny was like, we would buy the, the family had a bunch of snowmobiles. And, um, uh, and we would buy like a new snowmobile You know, because I started riding, so then we had to buy a new one. Mm -hmm. Well, my mom would get like the new snowmobile, which is like twice as fast as my snowmobile. (laughs) (laughs) So, but she would get the new one, but she would never, Never not once did that thing ever get used correctly. (laughs) I mean, it just, it was literally like like, buying a Ferrari and driving it like a fucking four cylinder. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. She was like driving the Ferrari at like, you know, 60 max you know on the highway. and so yeah on the highway on the and autobar, i'm dude. and i'm in the camry going 90 <laughs> yeah, you know you're like max in the engine out yeah but you're uh, the red. and then and then the crazy <laughs> thing that happened was eventually my snowmobile like started breaking down yeah. but nobody could figure and my dad like knows how to work on uh like engines and electronics and he he knew how to like take care of these things but there was something wrong like fundamentally wrong with the engine of this um of this Articat, uh, it was an Articat 440, I think, it, and and uh, there was something wrong with this thing where when you would hold the throttle like max, um, or actually at, at any, when you hold the throttle anywhere, if you if you stayed on you know one speed for too long, it would just die, and if oh, you like shit. kept it held in that position, it would literally the engine would just die and then turn off. And so there were a couple times where like I was riding this thing and it was dying on the on the trail, and eventually I figured out that if you like feathered the engine, you could get it back up to you could get the RPMs back up, and then it wouldn't die. So um, so I became so good at that that. I would ride this thing and about every 20 to 30 seconds it would die and then I would feather it back to life and it and and have no problem. But that's how I rode this thing and we would ride for hours at a time. So imagine <laughs> 2 hours every 30 seconds just, your snowmobile wants to die and so you feather it back to life. And so but that was just one of those things where like I start I got really good at it and then I like took pride in the fact <laughs> that like it never died on give my me the watch. Broken one. It never died on yeah. my watch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Try to ride this thing. Bet you can't. <laughs> bet you. Yeah. Bet you can't. <laughs> yeah. So not only was I on the the slow one, but also I was on the broken one. Yo, and, but you uh, were killing that shit. But you I were was still killing. going fast as hell too. But I remember snowmobiling in the Midwest, and I remember loving that. And um, and I can still see the trail. I can see the trail right now. I just there's something about that that's so iconic. Um, and it's like only an experience that uh, you you, it's it's one of those experiences where like. Uh, I guess I never did um, skiing or snowboarding or anything like that. And I I have to imagine that it's similar. Maybe you can like see the mountain, you know, uh, if you do it enough times. But uh, snowmobiling was my thing. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I did that. And then, uh, you know, as a kid, I just kind of had like a normal life. I grew up on a street where there were like a bunch of kids, like like 20 kids or something like that. So we would have like, we would all go outside and hang out, and the neighborhood and um, yeah, the yeah. neighbor, the the neighbor kids, and uh, we eventually started having wars. It, it was you know there was like factions, of course, you know uh, we had a civil war, like like serious, yeah, we it had like a like kid a civil joke. war. Yeah, I actually ended up going to the hospital because I got somebody threw a boomerang at me and it hit me in the face and cut my face open. And uh I was like bleeding. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Oh, the nineties were different, dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty crazy time. And um yeah, so we had uh so that then uh the war was done after that. That was the final <laughs> that blow. Was a, that was that was the final blow of the Civil yeah, War. Yeah, yeah, that oh was the final blow. Gosh. And um, so I think it was uh it was interesting because uh I wasn't allowed to play video games when I was when I was younger mm. um, I think I got my first console when I was like 13 or 14 what? and or maybe 12 what
1: would it have been at the time
0: oh so so other than my grandmother's Game Boy uh, which I loved as a kid um, but I could only play when I went to her house right so uh, I ended up getting a PlayStation 1 from a neighbor who said if you wash my car I'll give you my PlayStation 1 and all of its games Damn. And I was like, yeah,
1: that dude must have never played his PlayStation. No, it
0: was collecting dust. <laughs> yes, um, And I think like, I was supposed I really to wash his car, car a couple wash. more times. And I like never did. And he never asked. And uh, I was too busy <laughs> playing video games. I Listen, you can't, you can't give a kid a PlayStation and then expect him to come wash your car ever again. <laughs> He's never coming back. So what he should have done is we should have had this arrangement where I went and washed the car a couple of times yeah. and then I got the PlayStation because yeah. I would never be back after that point. And uh, so I started playing oh video games and I started playing, I started playing a lot of video games. yeah. And I think it was the lack of access to video games that made me so passionate and interested in it yeah, because it was like the thing that I couldn't have growing up. um. And uh, it wasn't like my parents were against video games. I think they were they were cautious because there was a lot, you know, at that time, there was a lot of talk about like video games uh, making kids radicalized because they had war in, mm, in games. And violence. Um, yeah. And like- yeah. Completely ignoring the fact that there's war in real life. Yeah. That doesn't radicalize kids at all. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> but, uh but there was, uh, so they were, they were hesitant and, um, uh, but then once I got my hands on video games, like you, you couldn't get me off. And, uh, between that and movies, I think that that was like a lot of my childhood. Like I watched a lot of movies growing up, um, And, uh, and it was just always like a super important thing to me. And I think for me, like I've always been a visual person Mm -hmm. as a kid. I knew that was, um, as a kid, I I knew that very well that I like to build things with my hands. I like to watch movies and play video games, but I was never really one to read many books. Mm -hmm. Um, I could read a book every once in a while if it really hooked me. But I wasn't sitting around, I'm not sitting around like reading books all day long. Yeah. Um, the visual medium to me was just too interesting. And I got hooked on the language, the visual language very, very early on. I like, um, I think everybody has like obviously their preferences and the things that they like and that and the things that they vibe with. But like when I was younger, I was really starting to understand like visual um, Uh, the language of uh, like visual storytelling. And I was really intrigued. Like, why would it, how could a YouTube video be like more famous than a movie? And like, how come some music videos look like, you know, how come some music videos are so uh, um, uh, engaging and dramatic and other music videos are like lame and sort of like, just like boring, like executions of like, random images plus a song and it was like then you'd find out like oh um you know thriller was like directed by like a real filmmaker and that's why it's like an incredible you know work of of visual art and uh so i i really started to like recognize that stuff early on and uh and i got really like hooked on it and um and so at some point i started picking up a camera and shooting stuff and making making little videos here and there. And then I was hooked ever since. So when did you get your first, ca- or I guess before you got your first
1: camera, did you, um, <clears throat> like, obviously being a kid you were watching movies and seeing things on tv and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. um do you recall like early memories of like uh your parents disposable cameras or like point and shoots and like taking pictures and like with like still photography like do you remember that kind of being like an early thing as a kid before it was videos i was
0: i was doing video first you were I, I i didn't do photos first okay yeah i i really like i love motion yeah that's really the key thing for me is i like the manipulation of time right and so for me um listen i love a good photograph and 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 really um there's a lot of overlap between the two mediums for sure but uh visuals um have always been uh the the focus for me and sort of like the passion for me and so i picked up um I want to say it was like an HHS100 or an HHVX100 or some. It was my dad's like video camera and it recorded to tape. Like DV, like mini DV? Yeah, yeah, like mini DV. Or and so I would have to shoot it. And and uh, and then I would have to plug it into my computer with a capture card, oh, yeah. play it back, and record it into my computer. Right. To then have that footage so I could edit it into something. Right. And that was like my first camera, and I was doing it, and I was like shooting stuff and recording it to my computer, and and then figuring out how to edit. And I think my my um, I tried doing stuff with like Windows Movie Maker. If you want to know why everybody uses Macs today, like in the in the entertainment space, um, it's because back then uh you would uh open up a you'd you'd have your windows computer it had like a windows movie maker on it oh yeah and you'd open it up and you'd like try to import footage and it wouldn't work because it like needed to be a special format and then so then you'd convert it to the special format and then you'd like finally get it in you'd start editing and it's like clunky and terrible and like there's no transitions and it's really 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 bad and then you go to export and it wants to export like an M4V or some weird thing you've, or what was it? WVM or WMV? W- yeah. WMV. Yeah. It was like this format that media worked video on or Windows yeah. and it was the worst format ever. <laughs> yeah, I remember like, that. And then, so my uncle was, uh, is an artist and a, uh, uh, I think he was like a director, like a creative director or producer at a, um, uh, at a, an agency. Okay, I'm trying. I was trying to think of like the name. Yeah, I don't know the name. It's all just good. an agency. And uh, he had a Mac computer. Like my whole life growing up, he always had Macs. He had like the cool Mac that was like the the one with like the, the colors, the colors. Yep. Yeah, and then he had the iMac, and then you know he's just he's had all the he had the iMac with like the articulating monitor, like oh, the one that was like shoot. yeah. He had yeah. all he's had all the Macs. Dang. And, um, Legendary. So he had. I don't remember if I bought mine from... I don't think I got it from him. I think I bought mine some... But I basically like sold some stuff, convinced my dad to let me sell the computer and scrounged up enough money to like buy a Mac. I got an iMac. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it was like iMovie was on the iMac and yeah. like I could just make movies. Yeah. Like iMovie was just so easy to use, would take any format, had a beautiful interface had tons of interesting tools and you could just like you could just make a movie and then you had like um was it audacity or oh, yeah. the free and then you editing had, software uh, yeah pr- uh, the motion apple motion okay and so you had like all of this um all of these great tools that were like mac compatible not uh what, what's not audacity what's the GarageBand? oh yeah so like yeah, apple just yeah, had yeah, all yeah. of these like tools built in that were like allowed you to create amazing things even even when you didn't know what you were doing right and um and so i started making uh uh, movies on yeah on my mac computer and it was it was really great and so i just made like little things here and there and when i was like a teenager i started posting stuff to facebook but i never posted to youtube and i always wonder like maybe i should have posted everything to youtube yeah i would have just like kept doing that over the years and like you know would have actually had like a a youtube channel. Yeah. It's funny cuz like my 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 um uh yeah, I just I was posting everything to facebook at that time and so um yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it and I eventually like I almost immediately tr- start tried turning my passion for making movies into work and in a lot of ways um uh it almost like stifled my creativity a little bit and I had to like find myself later in life because i i moved too quick into trying to make money with it but that was a that was essentially like where you know i got my start was like making films and then trying to figure out how to make money and um and then and then finding some work and uh yeah the first the first ever thing (laughs) the uh the first ever um video that I edited outside of iMov- iMovie was uh, I wanted to use, I wanted to get professional software. And uh, so, I, and I wanted to make a video game montage. That was like my, because I was playing video games. Oh, yeah, like I a recorded, Call of Duty montage. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, So I wanted to make like a Halo montage. and yeah, nice. And so I'm a genius because uh, I decided I was like, yeah, you know what I'll do? I'll go to YouTube and I'll find my favorite montage maker. This is like when I'm a teenager. Um, I'll find my favorite montage YouTuber and I'll like look at the software that he uses and see and see what's on the list. And it was like I found one. I don't know what video it was, and he just had a list of like software: Premiere Pro, After Effects, Audacity. Yeah, that blah, was blah, back blah, when blah, people blah. Would
1: put like their gear and everything they you used. Put gear. Everybody you put... would put like everything that they did on the line. But yep. now it's just like. Yeah, we're not going to tell you. Nobody, yeah, there's, and it's all (laughs)
0: kind of like, it's more or less common knowledge now where back then I think it was less. And yeah, yeah, the gear was also important too. Like if you edited videos in Final Cut, you were like a pro. For sure. But if you were like editing videos in like Premiere, like that was, that was kind of sus. Like, at the time. uh, At the time, Yeah. yeah. And um and so it's really, you know, like, eh, maybe he, maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he, like, downloaded some free software or something like that. Because Premiere wasn't popular before right. whatever that update was, 5.1 or something, where or 5.5, where just before Creative Cloud, they started, they, like, made that update where CS6 became, like, massive. But, yeah. like, 5.5 was kind of, like, the gateway drug. Um, before that, it was, like, everybody was on Final Cut. Yeah. If, you were on, if you weren't on Final Cut, like, you were in trouble. And um so what was really interesting though is I find this list and for some reason uh I see after effects on that list and I go, that's video editing software. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's totally not video editing software. But it's not video time- nope, <laughs> it's compositing software, but I for some reason thought it was video editing software. And so I downloaded it after I cracked it. Yes. Um the part, uh yep. And uh I download and I got it installed, and it was running, and I'm like, okay, time to edit my video. And it took me like two months to edit a five-minute video because it's not video editing software. It's compositing software. Right. So, so every time you... that I, <laughs> Well, every time I would edit a section, I would have to pre-render that section to watch it back to see if it worked. So I would <laughs> edit this video, and then I would pre-render... And then I would see if it worked. And then if the cut was off by one frame and I was already a stickler on day one, I was like, ah, it needs to be one frame sooner. Then I would like move it one frame and then I would have to (laughs) (laughs) re-pre-render everything because After Effects didn't have caching back then. Right. So like now it caches things that are similar. So if you move one, if you move something one frame, it only has to re-render one frame and then it... It has, the pre, it has the cached version of everything else and you're good to go. Right. Back then, you had to re-render the entire thing every time. Right. And my computer was slow. So, exactly. it, so like literally editing like 30 oh seconds would take me... Like, you know, editing 20 seconds would take me a full day of work, basically. Dude, but and you just didn't know. I just didn't time. know. Yeah. I thought that was how you made movies. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, damn, that's why these movies take years. So I accidentally <laughs> learned After Effects nice and uh then i became an and then i became a professional doing after effects professionally after that point
1: that's so Um, cool
0: but uh that was my yeah that was my introduction i did learn eventually i got final cut and then eventually made the shift to premiere like everybody else did during the time and and so but yeah it's funny because um i don't regret like learning after effects at all right um
1: it's a great skill. Yeah,
0: it was a really interesting tool, and uh, and it got me so much interesting work. It was kind of like one of those things where if I didn't make that mistake, uh, I wouldn't have found my uh, uh, my second ever job. I wouldn't have found my first professional career. Mm. Um, I literally found because of that mistake. I found my first career. Um, which is fascinating to think about because I I eventually became an After Effects technician for multi-camera systems, bullet-time systems, Um, and that was due to my expertise in After Effects at such a young age. And uh, I remember I got the job, and the guy that I was working for at the time, he was trying to hire uh, After Effects um, uh, students from college, because there were there weren't I mean there were After Effects people at that time but like they were pretty expensive yeah so like you you needed to kind of find you know to to find (laughs) you needed to find like an intern yeah you needed to find like a college student you know to come in and do the the tedious After Effects work and um, he said that every single one that he brought in from the college that had graduated from college having learned After Effects they couldn't do the work they like literally were incapable of it and um, uh, you know and whether or not (laughs) I don't know if that's the case, but uh, yeah, apparently like I was just able to do all everything that was necessary and like I excelled at it. And it was because I had accidentally learned After Effects. And when you misuse a tool like that, you have to get really good, you have to learn everything about it. All and right. so I started like doing a deep dive. And eventually when I figured out what it was, that it was compositing software, I was like, this is like, a ma- this is like magic. Like I really need to learn this. So I started watching tons of videos Andrew Kramer was the big guy at that time who was like, he basically taught a whole generation of people how to, you know, use After Effects. Um, And I got so good at it that, uh, yeah, I eventually landed a, uh, you know, a job. And um, so it's really interesting because it, it, you know, like I have no regrets. Like how could you, you know, I don't have a regret for making that mistake. But had I like just picked Final Cut as the thing that I would learn and never... Dove into after effects at all um i would have never worked on multi-camera or bullet time um and uh and i probably would have just gone like a way more traditional route of you know filmmaking
1: damn dude and th- i mean there's like i feel like that's uh there was a lot there that we covered but there's like so much that kind of leads into this next thing that i want to talk about like the bullet time that's like the multi-cam thing that's like mm-hmm. really like you hone that in so so well at this point and like you own like a million cameras, and like you have like this uh, setup that um, um, you had a Halloween one time, and I'll I'll put pictures right here as to <laughs> what it looked like, but it was this cool thing where it was like a like a arc of cameras where you just set it up with lights and stuff, and then we can like jump up, and then it freeze frames matrix style, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of explain for anyone listening, um, so. Did you just like see someone doing this? Did you develop this? Did you like how did that come up? It was it inspired by like watching like The Matrix and like like how did you like find figure out that you could do that and like bullet time is that a thing that like was that a thing already at the time that you just learned?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so essentially, I was uh, I I met um, I met a guy who uh, who gave me a job, and uh, I started working for essentially uh, a company called Time Slice. Um, they're based out of the UK but they had a branch here in the US that was called time Slice USA and um and so I worked for time Slice USA and we started doing bullet time work and I fell into this job because I knew after effects um I saw uh I saw them with their giant 60 camera rig at a um at an event and I'm like an annoying like 16 17 year old 16 year old and I walk up I was 17, I think. And I walk up and I'm like, hey, how are you guys doing this? And they're like, go away, kid. Like, we're working. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you guys are using After Effects. That's great. Oh, so you just bring all the frames down and then you just compile them in After Effects as an image sequence. And then, oh, I guess you're using an image stabilization to to smooth out the frames. And so then you can output like a really, you know, like a still video. That's pretty cool. And then they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, kid, go away. Like, play, <laughs> like like we're busy. Like, we'll talk to you later. And then a day later, I got a call that was like, who was that kid? Who yeah. was that kid? And how did he know how yeah. to do this? Yeah. And it and uh and so I was just like, I'm just looking over their shoulder at what I'm seeing, and I'm just regurgitating what I'm seeing. So to me, yeah. it wasn't a big deal. But they were like, he knew how to do it already. So can can we just talk to him? And it turns out that uh they were I we were in Pennsylvania at the time. <laughs> and uh so I, uh, and it turns out that they were based out of Michigan. And I lived there. Oh, wow. So when, so when I went back to Michigan, they're like, you should come into our studio and, and have a look at, you know, this setup. And that's where I really, and so they already had a 60 camera array and they were, you know, doing work professionally at that point. And so I came in as an intern and started working. And then eventually I became a contractor and continued to work with them. And then eventually I became uh, the, uh, the lead engineer and then CTO of that company. Wow. And so it was. It was kind of like a very natural progression. But I came in as like an intern doing tech stuff, and then I eventually progressed into learning uh, every aspect of the rig. And so I wasn't just doing the image processing anymore. I was also doing the engineering, the electrical, the setup, the configuration, the previs, the post production. The final deliverables, com- communication with the client. Damn. So I was not only I was you know like basically producing, but also developing, engineering, and also executing on set. Um, and I loved every aspect of it. Um, I particularly liked working on set. That was uh, where I where I really in, that's where I learned that um, I uh, do well under pressure. Like I actually need there needs to be pressure for me to. Um, uh, to work correctly. Uh, and so under pressure in those scenarios, I could I could remain very focused and I could execute. And um, those rigs at that time were terrible because <laughs> the one that I had inherited was uh, rife with electrical problems. Um, the software, w- there was no off-the-shelf software at the time. It was all developed by just like random people that would like write the software for a year and then disappear and go get like a full-time job at Facebook and so you like would you'd have this software that like no longer had support and you didn't necessarily have the source code for it, so you just had to make it work and you had to do what you could so it was um, uh, and this was like and these were and like don't don't get me wrong like Time Slice was the best company in the world doing this work at this point so like and that was the level of software that was like being that was running these systems right. now whenever there was a real problem would we pay somebody or develop a new solution ourselves absolutely yes but like when you're just when you're just like you know working it and the software is 99 percent there and occasionally it has a you know one percent of the time it has a bug you know you just deal with it that's just kind of how things go if you especially if you don't have the source code right but um but what started happening was like we started running into lots of problems on set. So like a camera would go down and I had to figure out who to send to go fix the camera, what to do on my end, how to resolve the issue. And when cameras used to go down back then, it was like 5 to 10 minutes of downtime. Mm. So you would literally like a camera would go down and you'd be like they'd be like how long until you're back up and running? And it's like I don't I don't know, tell them 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. Like that's and you literally for 10 minutes like Turn the camera on, turn it off. Is it working? Okay, check the connection. Replace that wire real quick. Let's just and you when you work with a system that has like 60 cameras and there's three to four wires per, per camera, camera? Oh, you'd man. be amazed at you set up the rig and it's all working, and then an hour in, one camera randomly dies. I or not a camera, I'm sorry, a cable. One cable randomly dies. What? what? Cables don't just die. Right. That's not a thing. <laughs> they don't just randomly go bad. Right, but they actually do. Wow. And so you, I started learning like the ins and outs of working with those types of very very complicated systems, which involved computers triggering, uh, triggering hardware, triggering software, um, uh, post processing. Uh, you know, essentially like all you know power distribution. Um, these are rigs that like needed multiple twenty amp. feeds and if you and if you grabbed from the wrong outlets you would actually um that that had like a di- that had like a they needed to share the same like neutral essentially if they had like different grounds or or you know you pulled from an outlet that was like connected to a refrigerator like the whole system could go down like the cameras would just stop communicating with the computer so you had to be like very particular about like no we need uh, this kind of line from this generator it needs to be grounded and so you start to learn all of these things and and for me i was really interested in making it work yeah like there's two things I wanted to do. A, uh, pull off a really badass effect with a bullet time rig. And B, I didn't ever want to tell anybody no. I just wanted to say yes. Like, can we do this? Yes. Can we do it right now? Yes. Can we do it? And, and you know, and, and that, um, so whenever there was like a problem or there was something that was really um, uh, slow or... There was an aspect of the design that was really, you know, that was kind of like poorly made. And so it, mm-hmm. it caused a lot of problems on set when this would delay you like 10 minutes or 15 minutes that might kill the director's ability to like pull off that effect, that moment. They might right. go like, can we capture this like this? And you say, that's going to take a 15 minute reset. And the director goes, we just don't, you know, the producer goes, we don't have that time. And then the director is upset it's like i didn't ever want to do that so that inspired me to like become extremely proficient with the hardware software electrical every capacity because i wanted to solve every single problem so we could show up and just shoot and and every and it could be amazing and so um So as time went on, I started developing more and more systems, and uh, and now I've uh, and so I I parted ways with that company. I don't work with them anymore. And I started working uh, today. I work with uh, a handful of uh, companies, and I build them rigs from the ground up, and uh, you know to achieve that vision of like allowing them to be able to you know capture incredible stuff at uh, lightning speed and without any problems. And so to do that, I had to get um, pretty good at engineering. And I didn't know what I was getting good at at the time. Yeah. I just knew that I was exploring a problem that needed to be solved, and then I solved it. But in during that process, I had to learn software development, um, uh, soldering, electrical layout, um, you know, all sorts of uh, uh, you know, every I know every connector of every camera unfortunately. You know, I've just had to research like everything um, and <laughs> and even what brands of cameras, what lenses do to that uh, that situation, you know, how you tie in certain types of lighting and so you kind of have to like learn it all and um, and, you know, could could we have brought in other people to like handle these other aspects? Yes, but we didn't. I was the one there and I just like and I just did it. So if we had a problem, I would just like learn what The thing was and i would just solve it so you know it's like when there was like a software issue i was like well i'll just learn programming and just like do it myself (laughs) i don't know why that's just you know i don't know why that was my first instinct rather than like trying to find somebody who who uh who could do it but uh i was just you know like determined to solve every problem and make it a good experience and eventually i was able to do that so like you know today we don't have problems like that we don't have five minutes of downtime um you know, we don't have massive electrical issues. We don't we, none of these problems exist anymore because yeah. you know I devoted so much time into it. So, yeah, that's how I got started in bullet time, and that's what it turned into,
1: yeah. I mean, you are you have so much knowledge now because you had to take that real deep dive and wear all those hats for lack of a better term. It's mm-hmm. like so now, like you said, you you learn the ins and outs of that whole system where it's like not just, taking the picks anymore it's just like everything behind it which I mean that makes sense that you ended up going through the ranks all the way to the point of being CTO like chief technical officer of a friggin like a massive company I'm I'm assuming you know what I'm saying if small they're,
0: company small company
1: well I mean were they
0: doing massive work though well that the company that uh, that company eventually um, uh, was acquired by Carvana damn so it, it became a massive company But, um, uh, and, and I did, uh, and that, that's because we were doing work for Carvana at the time. So those photography stages, uh, we designed and, and basically deployed, you know, the, the company I was working with designed those stages, installed them and did all of the automation and everything. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, um, when that happened, I walked away because I didn't want to work for, um, I didn't want to do that anymore.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, but you took everything that you learned and you moved forward and you were able to transition into, like, basically as a self-employed independent contractor and Mm -hmm. working with these other companies to help them build up their rigs to the level that you can build them at. Yes. And then you, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the company that you have with your dad, it's using bullet time style, like...
0: It's bullet time... It's it's a like similar effect, plus. but it's a different it's a different technique. Okay. So, uh, that company is ArcEye. Okay. ArcEye is primarily an automations and robotics company uh, that focuses on uh, capture solu- automated capture solutions for uh, b- uh, basically businesses that um, that need those solutions. And one of those uh, types of businesses is uh, automotive. And so, um, lots of like used car companies and museums and and um, sort of uh, collectri- collection collectors and collections yeah. of cars. They uh, want to shoot high quality photography of their vehicles. And one of the new interesting effects in that space is three hundred and sixty spins. And Carvana was the one that kind of like popularized that i that concept. Um, so uh, after. The problem is that um, the a lot of these companies don't have Carvana money. Carvana yeah. had a lot of money to build those those Rigs. facilities, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, they're very expensive. And so, um, so one of the projects that we did at I was uh, we we designed a, a lower cost solution that's still high end, but it's robotic controlled. So it does a three sixty of a car that looks like bullet time, but it's one camera and a robotic arm. Right. That's 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 right i'm remembering it now because it has
1: yeah exactly um which is i feel like another innovation that like you like just from your knowledge of bullet time like you were able to like take the concept of bullet time be like well how can we like simplify this and like make it more affordable and Mm -hmm. like make it scalable really because like now that allows you to like sell that that technology um uh like you're you're because you know how to use it, you can sell that and it's almost like your that's a cut like a like you guys have patents on this. Like this is like mm-hmm. your own what what is the word, like proprietary, like like uh like yeah, a, you
0: you could say it's proprietary. It's patented. It's, That's probably the right way to say it. It's patented yeah. technology. That's the best way to say it. It's mm-hmm. like you have you own and it's custom pa- designed. Custom it's, design. we custom designed it from the ground up because it didn't exist. Exactly. Which and it, is so and crazy? And the ones that did exist were so obscenely expensive and overcomplicated for our task that they wouldn't meet the requirements of of being lower cost. Right. So we we wanted to hit a price point that was competitive with alternative solutions. You know, the way that you do that traditionally is you have a turntable with a camera and you shoot. Fo- this has been like around for a long time. This is how they used to shoot 360s of cars for uh, the the big three when they had 360s on their websites in the 90s. Mm. Um, you'd have a car on a turntable in a studio space with a camera and you'd capture photos that way. Um that's how everybody does it. That's how all these companies do it—is you know turntables. But we decided to build a robotic arm because these turntables um, need an obscene amount of maintenance. This is once again my obsession with solving uh, every every last problem. On a you know, to me there's like the visual component. The goal of the project is the visual. I'm trying to produce a 360, a beautiful 360, you know, image of an object. Right. I want I want the camera to spin around it so that way when i have it on the website i can move i can Go move my and cursor yeah, and yeah. i can make it rotate and Manipulate. i can look at it look at it from any angle you know mm-hmm. that's the goal that's the visual goal the the things that need to be solved are everything else it's materials it's the floor it's the turntable having an obscene amount of maintenance and breaking down and being really large and also requiring you to essentially redo your floor because you need to either seat a turntable on the floor or you need to build a false floor up to a turntable.
1: Right, And so
0: there's all of these requirements in that kind of situation. Um, Or you shoot on a turntable and you cut out every single frame where you cut out the car out of every frame and you put a fake, a false frame behind it, you know? And so there's all of these different ways that you can sort of, Approach that problem. And uh, and after having worked with like five or six different brands of turntables, uh, it became really clear. It was like, can we just get rid of the turntable? <laughs> the, this thing is terrible. It's not accurate enough. It has lots of problems. It costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of effort to install. What if we just got rid of it? And so we, um, so we explored a couple different ideas and a camera array was one of them. Yeah. But if you want to shoot know 30 60 100 images of a car you need 100 cameras that nobody you can't afford nobody can afford 100 cameras to shoot 360s of used cars Mm -hmm. that's not a you know that that doesn't make any sense so um so we decided to uh build a robotic camera arm and the camera arm doesn't break down like the turntable And, uh, and it's lightweight and relatively easy to install and doesn't have any special requirements for the flooring or the walls. It just, you know, it just needs somewhere that it can mount up in the ceiling and, um, you know, potentially to a structure. And, uh, and I think it produces, you know, and it produces the desired effect. It does a, it does a 360 and, uh, of the vehicle and, um, and it does it fast too. That's the other thing is we wanted to make it a lot faster yeah. than a turntable. Turn table, yeah. And turntables normally take around sixty seconds or longer. Some really? of them take up to two minutes. Yeah, because you got to you got to mo- move a car. Right. Think about how heavy a car Cars, is. Yeah, and then think about the fact that you have to speed up, move it, slow it down, stop.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that too. With like a turntable, like you're putting yep. tons of pounds on. A, a turntable uh, that's probably another reason why it needed so much maintenance just cuz like just like using just just putting so much weight on these things where it's like the robotic arm is just like as long as that camera's functioning and the arm is working, it's like that shit's gonna work every single time.
0: Yeah, the arm can be like overbuilt a little bit to the point where it, its payload is so small that it it in it has no there's no damage yeah. to any component. Where a turntable, even if it has fifty or a hundred wheels, you could overbuild a turntable, by the way, to be like, you know, to never break. Um, sensors might go bad. A rat might eat the wiring. This happened once before, by the way, a rat ate wiring uh, and broke a turntable. That's insane. Um, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong, but at the end of the day, when you build a cost-effective turntable, it needs to have a bunch of um, uh, wheels or rollers inside of it to basically, you know, uh, that, that, that's what the platform sits on and, and spins on. And, uh, and so those bearings, those rollers, um, eventually go bad. Because yeah. they literally just grind away material. Like something has got to give in that situation. Sure. And, and eventually, you know, and you can lubricate it as much as you like, but eventually that lubrication will dry or it needs to be re-lubricated. And so at the end of the day- It's maintenance. It's maintenance. <laughs> and so it's just one of those things where like we figured, you know, what if we could just get rid of that? So that's that's how that company was born. Yeah. Um. Uh, and that I was born. And, uh, but now our focus is on automating other types of, uh, photo systems as well. So we do video, we do photo, but the primary focus of the company is automation, automated systems that that achieve some sort of visual effect.
1: Absolutely, dude. And it's amazing. You showed me it before, and I, I'm so glad we were able to kind of deep dive into it and like bullet time thing. And um, I feel like uh, we, we have probably like 25, 30 more minutes uh, on the card. Cool. Um, so there's a couple more things I want to get into as well because you... Um, you are an editor for a few different films and uh mm-hmm. you you actually directed your own film as well mm-hmm. uh Duelers is that right Duelers yeah yeah um so kind of like I mean I guess we didn't really talk about like you in the film space too much um it, it was more so like us kind of talking about like your journey in like to getting into the editing and stuff and how that allowed you to get into like paying gigs early on 16 17 years old um so getting into the film industry, um, creating movies, editing, producing, things like that. Um, how did that journey start? And was that kind of like, after you, 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 you had this experience with like the, the, um, that company and like, went on to like, like learn all these things in after effects, like, did that just translate straight into the film industry? How did that, what was that transition?
0: Um. By the way, I want to mention something about the Duelers film. Yeah. Um. This is going to come out like in December, right? You said, or yeah, something, something like that. Like, that, like okay, November, cool. December. So I'm. I can say something now that I can't say yet, but I will be able to say okay. in like a month from now. So Perfect. that's good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um. Yeah. So it it uh it, my work in both industries happened in parallel. Oh, nice. So when I was sixteen the first ever job that I got was editing a documentary. Whoa. And I got it because my neighbor was a documentary filmmaker. um, uh, Really, uh, really amazing person, Allison Rockwell. She gave me uh, an opportunity to edit a trailer for her upcoming film because she had learned that the kid down the block that she thought was, (laughs) you know, kind of cool. Um, uh, you know, was like into, wanted to make movies and was editing videos. And so she's like, Hey, let me send you some footage from my, up, from my movie. It's a, a documentary about a Holocaust survivor, which is an incredible project to work on, especially when it's your first one. Um, and she's like, Hey, will you, uh, w- you know, will you edit a trailer? And little did I know she was testing me I didn't know this at the time, but she was kind of like, just gave me the footage and like, let me run a trailer. And I edited the trailer and she loved it. She thought it was amazing. And she's like, Hey, will you edit the movie? And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, my editor is retired and unable to edit the the one that I've worked with my, my, you know, for the past couple of years is retiring. And so she can't edit the movie anymore, but I'm going to bring you to her house. She's going to train you. And then once she's done you know once you're done like you know talking to her about the the the, you know editing then i want you to edit the movie with me and you're gonna and you come to my house with your computer and we'll sit at my dining room table and we'll edit the movie and i said great i would love to do that so damn 16 years old yeah yeah that's so cool so i um so i did that and it was an amazing experience and i got to edit this film about a holocaust survivor and uh so my first project, my first film I worked on was a documentary, and um, what's interesting about that is you start to go, you go through so much footage in a documentary, especially when you're an editor. You're not sort of like it's it's been the only documentary, by the way, that I worked on that I had, or the one of two documentaries that I that I edited that I was not a part of the production mm. because every single project after that, I became a part of the production. I was either shooting or a producer or some, some, in some capacity helping out um, on location. And then I would go back and edit the project. But in these cases, this stuff had already been shot by other people. So I was just editing. And what's amazing is you go through so much footage that I felt like I knew the guy. His mm. name was Ellie and i felt like i knew him he had died wow. i i'll never get to meet him but i got to meet him through the footage of that of that documentary and i feel like i know him i saw so i saw every minute of raw footage ever shot for that project and i got to see him on camera and off camera and every moment and he's such an interesting guy but um but i fe- i have this feeling like i like I was there with him. Right. And after experiencing that, it was kind of like a profound moment because I think it changed me forever. It was like that moment made me realize, you know, the, the power of film because up until that point, I had watched documentaries that other people had worked on. I had watched movies that other people made. I had not made something so grandiose and, some, and something so intimate before in my in my life i was only 16 yeah and but after having that experience i realized the power of film that if you do things right you can actually make the people on screen uh feel as uh feel as though they're a part of your life you can make them feel real Mm. and he he was a real person but had passed on before I got a chance to meet him. But I feel like I know him.
1: You're able to experience him through that movie. Yeah. That's yeah. insane.
0: And, and that, so, yeah. um, so in that film I did, I, e- <coughs> I edited, uh, I colored it in After Effects because I didn't, because there weren't great color tools at that time. I think there was like Da Vinci Resolve, but it was like expensive or something. Yeah. And, um so I colored it in After effects and uh did all of the motion graphics in after effects and so I was you know there was some transfer of my after effects abilities to you know the films that I was working on but um no i mean um, um you know the a bullet time system has almost nothing to do with like making movies it For is sure. it is like you're generating an effect, but that's the end of it you know yeah. it's, it has nothing to do with like the story, the amount of hours the editing required the the pacing of a film. you know there's like it's such a different um uh thing yeah but uh but yeah, I started doing those, and then I did another documentary for her um it was about uh kids. Learning. It was called Look I'm Learning, and it was a documentary about kids learning to um, uh, use iPads in school. It was like one of the first, it was like one of the early, early experiments of iPads being introduced to the school system. And Look I'm Learning was addressing, you know, the questions surrounding iPad usage and computer usage in this in in, school, in the so learning environment public schools yeah yep in public schools for kids so um, uh, and then after after that I started I uh, I got a so then I wanted to merge my two passions I wanted to do uh, video games and filmmaking and so I uh, I eventually crossed paths with somebody uh, Russ Pitts a uh, d- uh, director and of of very well. A director of websites and then also media online so like videos and journalism and whatnot so it kind of he's a journalist i guess is is you know like the the ultimate core of the work that he did okay. um he had left uh he started the escapist which was or he was running the escapist a very popular website at the time um kind of like in the video game sphere of influence you know it was like um uh, also like comics and other nerdy nerdy stuff like that. Uh, he left The Escapist and then he wanted to go, he was going to start working. And then I think he uh, started working at Polygon. And Polygon is a video game journalism organization that was producing tons of really awesome videos at the time uh, under the umbrella of like Vox Media and The Verge. Um, he left Polygon. I think he was a director or something there. He left Polygon and then he wanted to do his own journalism, independent journalism about video games. And I got looped in with him and Whoa. then it became me, him, and uh, and a sound guy, Austin. And so it was funny because it was the three of us and we were traveling around to all of these uh, video game companies and these like, you know, famous people in the industry and filming like little documentary shorts that were effectively like, jur- you know, uh, and, and journalistic uh, videos about you know, people that working in video games. Yeah. And so I got to kind of merge my two passions. It's like documentary uh, shooting and video games. Documentary shooting and video games, which was really awesome. And uh, so I edited all that stuff and I shot everything. Uh, we did stage of development. Uh, we kickstarted one and oh, uh, nice. got that off the ground and, and did that. Um, we did uh, another film called uh, Desert Bus for Hope. Uh, or, yeah, I think I, the, whatever the film name is. I, the, the, The event name is Desert Bus for Hope, and then the film is like Desert Bus for Hope something. I think there's like a subline or something. But um, we did a whole documentary film about a group of people that uh, raise money for charity every year doing like a nerdy comic book video game themed uh, uh, like endless stream that lasts like seven straight days. (laughs) In Canada, they go on the air for like seven straight days and raise a bunch of money for charity, and it was like amazing. And so, I had to somehow stay, I had to somehow film everything and also sleep for seven straight days because I was the only camera guy. So, I had, I don't know how I did it.
1: (laughs) I I don't know. I I have very little memory. I I have all the footage, I slept
0: four hours over seven. I have all the footage and none of the memory um (laughs) let the camera be thy memory it it was insane i don't know how i slept and shot that entire thing but i would do crazy things like i would go to sleep and i would set up a camera mounted in the corner with like a bat with like a battery pack plugged in and i would like set it to like time lapse while i was sleeping but i would i'd have it on video so i'd be like shooting while i was sleeping and then i'd like wake up and like it will have filled up the card at that point and then i would like swap out that camera and then i would set up like three or four cameras while i was shooting i'd have like a steady cam i'd have one on a tripod i'd have another in the corner i'd have a time lapse going and i would be just like operating like four or five different cameras running around all day long shooting stuff for like yes you know seven days without without with barely any sleep that's Um, insane and it was it was bonkers um so it was one of those things where like that film that film in particular really tested me and then the editing was insane because i was the only editor so like a lot of times on like a big production you'll have an assistant editor that will actually go through and organize everything mm-hmm. they'll they'll like you know catalog and they'll like make and they'll go through and like tag everything and like pull clips aside and kind of like maybe maybe even in some cases like make notes about select takes and things that are interesting and whatnot yeah and they'll organize it and get it ready for you prepped so you can edit well i had to do all that stuff so i was like i my like thank you adobe premiere for having implemented multi-camera at that time yeah because i could highlight everything and just say make multi-cam and it would like synchronize all the cameras and i had like at some points, four cameras shooting at the same time. Yeah. Um. And, uh, but none of them were time code synced. Because right. they were all like DSLRs and sort of, you know, mini cine cameras at that time. Yeah. That's what, that's what we were shooting on. Remember it was like back when everybody was shooting on 5D Mark IIs and yeah, stuff like for sure. that. Yeah, That was like standard. That's what I was shooting was yeah. like 5D Mark II. For sure. And so we didn't have time code on anything. So I had to go back and, and, um, uh, you know like and researching everything sync the and, video. and editing that project was a bear dude i, I mean that project that. was insane um, i've yeah that was probably the most complicated edit i ever worked on um but then, uh, and then, yeah, I, so I don't, I, uh, he doesn't do um, films like that anymore. And I didn't pick up, I didn't pick up and continue the, the video game documentaries. I had uh, started getting pretty serious about the engineering and the multi-camera st- stuff at that point. Yeah. But I was doing all this stuff in parallel. So I would go do a bullet time shoot in New York and then I would fly to like Boston and do a documentary shoot. And then I would like go home and I would be editing the bullet time stuff. And then I would also be like editing the documentary until the next project came up and then I would fly to that project. And I did that for like probably five years. I was just like doing all of this work in parallel.
1: Dude, that's amazing. Um, Yeah, but it's like, it's all kind of like together in a way where it's like you're using skills from both and it's like, it's all like camera stuff and it's like passion and like you're being able to fulfill that passion. Um, Real quick, I'm gonna check this time and see how much we have left on it. (laughs) On the last interview, um, I ended up filling up a card um, without knowing it and not realizing it until like 15 minutes after. So like in the edit, there's going to be a portion where like one camera is just on like like the guest camera didn't cut out thankfully for like 15 minutes for like 15 minutes but it'll only just be on the guest but like the audio will still be on so my homie gave me a funny uh um (laughs) a funny idea he's like in the edit you should just put like uh just like a picture of you on the on the <laughs> screen every time your voice comes on i was like that's a genius idea that's exactly what This I'm is where do.
0: this is where like creative things like uh then you decide creatively that you're going to have somebody animate of uh, like a five fps version of you talking into the microphone and you yeah. like use that as <laughs> that your footage for so like the, for like 15 minutes of the of the thing without x you know and yeah. you do it with an explanation maybe yeah you do like the <laughs> hey by the way the camera broke so like you're gonna get the cartoon version of me for the next 15 <laughs> minutes and then you just like do it but it's like those are like um that's a sad that's like a sad thing obviously that it that it happened because it's like now you have to like figure out out what to do. But it's also like those are the happy accidents that make films and projects interesting. Yeah. Like you have to be kind of put into a corner a little bit to really come up with a to be forced into coming up with a creative solution that's a little bit off the wall. That's strange and like you wouldn't you wouldn't normally do. And those are the things that are really, really interesting about about visual and projects most of the time is like when you're sort of like pushed into that uncomfortable space where you have to make you have to fix a problem and then it's how creative can you be yeah that's what ultimately leads to like some of you know the, the great moments in films like jaws jaws was like you know they had um uh they had that was like his first film or one of his early films mm-hmm. and that was spiel, spiel yeah. spielberg right? yeah spielberg and he uh, and he's young and they're you know and they're shooting this thing on a boat in water by the way insane decision to like f- make that one of your first films like shooting <laughs> in water like just stay away from water if you're like making a film <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. like your life will be a lot cameras, easier water don't mix. Yeah, the cameras, wa- just everything water, don't yeah. mix. You know, like, water. just, it's it's a complication yeah. that you don't need. Right, right. Um, but he, uh, they had the animatronic uh, shark. Yeah. And it broke. And it was like, they couldn't fix it. And they didn't have a choice. They had to shoot the movie. It was like, you can't delay when you're on, working on a film with that budget. Um, and especially when it's like, you know, Spielberg, not today, could delay. He could do anything he wants now. Like, he's just allowed to... Make big, grandiose, money-burning decisions, but that ba- you know, back then he couldn't, and so that's when they came up with the idea to like tie the the buoys to the to the shark, and then make it so that way, like you never see the shark. So for half the movie, or more than half the movie, you never see the shark. You only see splashes. Yeah, you shit. see that. You see like this. You see like the buoys going through the water, like the like the but you know, and it's like because. They they like you know had the moment where it's like it gets hooked onto the shark's fin and then it's like as he swims around it's like right. that means that he's there, but it's like you don't see him and it, that's literally because the the shark broke
1: broke right, but it's funny. But because, it, the film's yeah. better because of it. And I was just gonna say it almost creates like that uh, that mystery of just like you know it's there but you can't see it, so it like makes it a little bit more the implication
0: thrilling. is scarier than a poorly animated than a poor quality robotic shark.
1: Because your brain fills in what it could be. Or like, you know, like, and that's that's kind of back to... you hear
0: dun, that dun, and dun, it's dun, just dun, like dun, the suspense. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude. That's, and that, that's, that's so crazy. That's
0: being that's a classic case of like being in an uncomfortable situation and having to creative your way out of it. Yeah. And that that's when a lot of the best moments happen. That's a lot of that's actually like um so that's uh you know, it's kind of like um uh I think it was George Lucas mm-hmm. was uh said in an interview. You when you make a movie, you don't get to tell people like, ah, uh, this broke and that wasn't working on that day and like the person didn't show up to work and this person got sick and like every film is is shot under with circumstances. There's always something that's going to go wrong and the truth is that you don't get to show them the movie with all those the, those excuses. You just have to show them a movie and it has to work. Mm-hmm. And all that's right. it. That's it. Every, everything runs into problems but right. you just have to come up with a solution and just creative your way out of it. And that's the difference between uh, a professional and an amateur, by the way. Is a a professional, yes, the difference between a professional and an amateur is uh, a professional when confronted with a problem comes up with a solution that is adequate, meets the needs. They figure it out. Right. That could mean cutting the scene. That could mean changing the scene into something that you didn't originally intend. That could mean coming up with some creative solution, like an animation for a scene that, you know, for for when a for moments when a camera stopped filming or or whatever that is. But that's what a professional does. They figure it out, they creative their way out of it, and and then they move on. Yeah. Because every there's all there's problems on every shoot. And an amateur goes, it didn't work. Let's come back tomorrow and like try it again.
1: <laughs> right yeah and it's like it's it's I'm glad that you said that because on this uh this last episode that just dropped it was uh a, a, a video director, and he's more so like the music space, so like doing video recaps for like shows and uh, music videos and kind of directing in that world the music space. but um we were talking about how on music video shoot days, how you can always plan. For things to go a certain way, but every time there's gonna be something that comes up that you have to like adapt to. And um, and I was saying like it's very important to be like water, like Bruce Lee's, you know, like be like water, my mm-hmm. friend. Um, but it's just like that's just like being flexible with like body and mind. And that's like hundred percent what you're talking about, where it's just like being the professional to be able to have like a cool head, take a step back, zoom out, f- figure out what the problem is, and then come up with an adequate solution it would like it, with efficient you know time so it's just kind of like like a being like water in a sense where it's just like okay that happened cool well then let's like where do we start to like try to fix that problem and just kind of like move like that rather than like oh my god this went wrong ah, ah. then like everything is like you know everyone's running around throwing papers in the air ah,
0: like crazy <laughs> spongebob and listen you can yeah you know the professional move is figure it out yeah and then if you do it if you if you try to figure it out you do your best you come up with a creative solution and it still doesn't work you can go back and redo it yeah you can go you can like just make the decision later like we'll find the money we'll figure it out we'll go back and we'll reshoot the thing the way we had intended right but like the professional move is get it done just get it done everybody's don't waste anybody's time let's just keep moving Let's be as efficient as possible. Let's find a solution for this. Right. And, um, <coughs> you know, what's really, what's really interesting is, like, then there's the difference between the professional and the expert. The profession, to be a professional is to just get it, get it done, cool, cool-headed, you know, uh, just move on with the project, right? Amateurs give up. Experts know how to solve the problem. That's, that's why you want to surround yourself by as many experts as possible. Right. Because an expert is professional, oftentimes, and also knows how to solve the problem. Mm. And so that's really, you know, the reason why, like, I've been doing bullet time for a long time, for instance. If there's a problem on a shoot and you tell me what the problem is, I will either ask you one or two questions and then give you the answer or I will immediately give you the answer. There's right. no exceptions to that. It's yeah. very 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 rare that I say I don't know. Right. And if I don't know then I don't know and will investigate it. But doesn't happen often. You, you the reason why is I've seen a lot and the systems that I work on I know intimately. Yeah. So when you when when something goes wrong I say check this cable first, then check that cable then do this, then press this button, then do this, then come back to me. And then they come back and I go and I click a button and the problem is solved, right? right. Because I know, the, I know exactly the sequence of events that need to happen to resolve a problem because I've seen it so many times. That's, that's what makes me an expert at bullet time. Um, but when I, was, when, I was an, when I was still learning and I didn't know all of those things, the thing that made me a professional was uh, not going home.
1: Right. And figuring out what to do in those moments. And the only way that you became an expert is putting in those, you know, probably 30,000 hours worth of time into figuring out how to engineer like certain things, try to like fix problems when they come up and like all these things that are thrown at you where it's just like you got to figure it out. But it's just like if you would have never taken that time as a professional to learn all those things, you would have never became an expert. So it's just like the professional can like go both ways. Like you can be a professional, but then also act like an amateur, like and then you could be a professional and then like progress to become an expert. Yeah, it's like uh, so that that's like such a weird place to be. But, um, but yeah, being, I mean, being
0: a professional is showing up and doing the work and trying not to screw people over and just get it done. Yeah. That's really what being professional is. Yeah, And that that's what everybody forgets is you don't have to have all the answers, but you need to put in the effort. Yeah. And so I, you know, <laughs> I don't believe I don't like people who brag about like working super long days. When you work in an industry like this in the film industry, you work super long days. It's going to happen. You're going to have the days where you work 8 hours and it's the, you know, it's amazing and you got to like eat caviar and what and you know, <laughs> take it go take a dip in the hot tub after after work and then you're going to have the days where you work 18 hours and you and you just go like back to the room and like pass out yeah but you know you but the but like when the flight is tomorrow morning and the thing's not working right now like th- those are the days where like I stayed up 23 hours and fell asleep in the van on yeah. the way to the airport because yeah. that's what it took to get it done. Right. And that's, and you know what? Sometimes that's what it takes because the flight is tomorrow and we only get this one chance and we got to get it done and let's just do it. And that's because I was an amateur because I didn't know what I was doing. You know what's so funny is that with that day where I had to stay up 23 hours, I know what was wrong now. I could have just, I could fix it now. I know how to resolve it today. Mm-hmm. But back then I didn't because I was an amateur. But you know, the professional in me just stuck with it and got it done, and I did leave that set, having solved the problem, and I got on the plane with it having been fixed.
1: so you were an amateur with professional mindset,
0: yeah exactly yeah. i was yeah. I was a novice, I was learning yeah you know? but but you know I went, but I did the right thing, I got the job done Absolutely. because that's because you know there there it doesn't matter like you just have to you just have to get it done it needs For sure. to be, you know you got to get on that flight. Yeah, because I was going to another shoot. That's what the flight was for was to go to another shoot. So it just had to get done. And look, you don't like don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. If you're going to stay up twenty three hours moving around, if you're going to be a camera operator, do not stay up twenty three hours. Okay, like let me just you know put. But if you're going to you know what I was doing at that time was sitting behind a computer writing code, and so you know I can I can stay up. And, and get the job done and you can sleep on the plane and stuff like
1: that but it's just like yeah those uh like that that's um like that mindset of like being a professional even though you're like you're, you're an amateur like you you had the uh, ability to like just give up and like make excuses like oh it didn't work that's why i didn't get it done type deal mm-hmm. but it's just like that's That's why you ended up being who you are today, because even when you were at those early stages, whereas like now, you know, decade in the game, you're like, oh, yeah, like that's such an easy problem. I don't know how I even got caught up on that. But it's just like in that moment, you didn't know. And it's just like you you made sure you didn't leave until you did know. And that's like think that says a lot about like i mean even just talking to you now because like we've had conversations like this in the past off air and it's just like we've kind of talked so i feel like i kind of like know your character in a way but like i think this speaks to your character like so much um just by like that like staying up 23 hours just to figure it out because you are a very determined and like um very like desire like you desire like uh the the outcome and like you're like i can't just give up like you know what i'm saying this is like you're determined until you figure it out type deal and i feel like that's like in all directions like your passions you've like taken it to that level where it's just like whether that be the bullet time thing whether that be filmmaking whether that be coding things like that and like you might even learn things on accident like in your process but it's just like that's part of your thing where it's just like the determination to learn the things that you didn't know and it's just like you're learning new skills just because you're like trying to figure out the first thing like you're trying to do the thing and then you end up learning another thing that ends up making the first thing like that you do that much better at it um so i feel like that's just like that's that's you have so many parallels and all of the the lanes of your life it's so cool like that you've been able to like cultivate all of that into who you are today and now like you work for yourself I mean you you've been working for yourself since you were a
0: teenager like and that's and uh, that's, that's that's been crazy uh, that's been a little bit strange because yeah. I, I found out later in life that, like, most other people don't do that. Obvi- well, obviously, like, most other people go to <laughs> yes. university and then they get a job somewhere. Most
1: other people start at, like, McDonald's at 15, <laughs> and then, like, like you I know, did, like- I did
0: have bosses. Like, when you're a contractor, you still have bosses. The difference yeah. is instead of having one boss, you have a bunch of them, and you can you can fire your boss. because if if you have like five or ten bosses and you really don't like one of them and you can just like get rid you can just like tell one of them no yeah and that that's sort of the difference is instead of having one boss you have like 10 but um uh but obviously like the man the time management and whatnot is is gets very complicated and so it is a strange dynamic but yeah i've been doing that since i was 16 i just like i've never had uh um, like a nine to five. Right. The closest I ever got to a nine to five was uh, I started doing work for a public television station in, in Michigan. Um, uh, and they uh, had me come in like twice a week from like noon to 6 p.m. or something like that. Mm.
1: No, so that's, I mean, that's... I was
0: helping time. them with um, editing and also workflow development. I was helping them. I, I actually wanted to transition them to... Premiere pro because at that point they were about four years behind the curve and they they were still on like Final Cut Seven. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. No joke. Oh, they were on God. Final Cut Seven. But they were so baked into their like workflow and their routine yeah. that it was like it worked for them, but it was so slow that I was like, hey guys, I can just like help you transition. To premiere and then some some of the editors were like super old on the verge of retirement and they were like started to kick back like they started kicking and screaming and it was like then i just like wa- i just went away because you can't force people to <laughs> do anything sure. like, i was like right, this is you, a waste of my time so i'm not yeah, doing this anymore. i'm trying to help you <laughs> like i was like okay bye <laughs> <laughs> it's like see this is why i don't work nine to five <laughs> you can't you can't force anyone to do anything though like you have to you have to kinda, um but you know persistence is key and reflection is important. Yeah. That's that's really the key thing is that you need to be persistent when you're learning and when you're doing it on your own especially when you're doing it on your own because there's nobody there to sort of you're you're sort of helping yourself. And reflection is important because you need to look back at like past life experiences and 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 situations that you were in and you need to kind of decide a is this a direction that I want to keep going in and b um, how could I do it better in the future? Right. And so what what you know I'm constantly doing is like when I when I I'm constantly reflecting on uh on things professionally. I'm always thinking about work. And so that's always been one of my problems is that yeah. if you ask me what I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about something I'm either going to do or something that I'm in the middle of doing. Um uh and the only time that I think about the past is when I'm reflecting on past work. When I'm re- is when i'm reflecting on things that i did <laughs> so it's it's only what i'm doing or things that you it's did it's only what i'm going to do what i'm doing are things that i did those are the only three things that i think about and then i just keep moving forward um <laughs> but i think about work a lot yeah uh, if there's a problem i like go to sleep thinking about it i wake up thinking about it it's a disease damn dude i mean how old are you now
1: 30 so you, you've been in the game for, you know, 15 years almost. Um, if, like- if
0: you were to count like my early, early sort of like when I was 16 years old, I was trying to sell, uh, I was trying to, uh, I was a theater kid. Okay. And I was trying to convince them to let me film the musicals because the guy who shot it at the time would set up a camera, click record. And then at the end of the musical, <laughs> have he would click stop. <laughs> And then he would take that footage and directly burn it to a DVD. So that way it started with a blue screen and then the musical started and then it ended. And that was what he was shooting at the time. And I said, no, let me do like like an idiot. I'm like, let me for $0 for a thousand (laughs) bucks or something like that. Let me set up three cameras shoot this thing with two camera operators, me and one of my best friends who now owns a production company in California. So we, we were doing it early. And um, uh, he's, you know, uh, Daniel Berhane's on the one camera, I'm on the other camera, and then the middle camera's the static wide. And I clicked record on all three, shot, the middle camera every 30 minutes would like turn off. (laughs) So I would have to run over and like click it back on and run run back over to my camera. We would shoot two nights and then I would take all that footage and I would literally edit it into a full movie of the stage, of the stage play that I wasn't in because (laughs) I was in some of them and I wasn't in other ones and the ones that I wasn't a part of I would, I would film. And then I that's would so burn cool. these all to Blu-rays with a big DVD menu behind the scenes, photos, everything. Damn. Because I just wanted to like, not get, I just wanted to make a movie. Bro, that's so cool. I would cool. make any movie anybody would let me make. I just wanted <laughs> to make anything. Dude. And then, and then I did, uh, uh after effects. It was like, a like, uh, 1940s was like the theme of what I think it was all my sons was one of the projects. And, um, I used After Effects to do swipe animations that looked like they were from the 40s. So it was like I used like 40s style text and then I did, and then it would like swipe on and off, like the way that they used to do the old timey graphics when they had to do it like physically. And um, so, and I did an animated intro as well with like a full title sequence and every full credit, opening credits and title sequence with music for, for this project. And then it would like open and then, and then it plays and uh, And I mixed the two different <laughs> nights of performances to to pick the best performances. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was sixteen years old and already directing a film. yeah, and i I didn't realize that at the time. yeah, I was just but I knew that I'm gonna shoot two nights and turn it into one night, and I'm gonna have to go pick the best performances of every night. yeah, and so i I went in and I like painstakingly edited this thing so that way the camera was never shaky. The performances were always good, you know, and and I would use the wide angle to get out of trouble. That was my that yeah, was, and, that was uh, the fail safe. Yeah. And yeah, and you know, people don't stand in, especially when they're amateurs in high school, they don't stand in the right places at the right time. So I had to like sometimes say like, okay, well, the continuity there doesn't matter, so we can just like cut between these two takes. But then other times I would have to do like the well, I can either have this take or this take, but I can't have both because. When we cut from this moment to this moment, everybody's in the wrong place. And I just, that continuity is way too aggressive. You know, it's way, it's, it's wrong. Yeah. And so I was already editing films at that point and, um, uh, but, you know, and didn't realize it. So, uh, but that was just, you know, like what I was, what, what needed to be done. You know, you just do what needs to be done.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's cool because that is like an early spark into like, really, like, who you ended up being for the next 10, 15 years of, of this of this world that you found yourself in, in this creative world, and using cameras. And that's, mm-hmm. like, really, like, I think that's what it stems back to, is just, like, using cameras to create story. And um, even though, like, bullet time is, you know, very, like, specific, and it's just, like, a, t- for a certain use, it's still, like, in a way, like, creating... Some sort of like, I guess, story, I guess, of like, just like showing, like, you're just showing things and like, um, making people feel like, because when people see a 360 of a car, they feel excited. They feel like, oh, wow, like, that's like, I can see so many different parts of it. Like, it's just more exciting than if you just see like a static Image of a of 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 a car, you know. What it, ma- I'm saying?
0: it makes the car more valuable, yeah. So. Ultimately, because it feels more premium, it feels like you 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 as a consumer recognize when there's effort put into something, and it also is there's a utility aspect to it too, where you get that 360 component of being able to see every angle of the car. Yeah. So, have you ever looked at a photo of a used car online and you go like, "My God, I wish I could just see the the frickin the hood." Right. Like, I just want to see the quality of the hood. Like, let me just see. And with the 360, you can rotate it, and you can actually see it from a couple different angles, and the light shines across it. Yeah. So you can pick the angle that works for you to actually inspect the hood. Yeah. So it's just a better buying experience, and it's a better experience. But, That's you know, the... the That's the, the
1: word, experience.
0: The the storytelling component of bullet time is the is the, you know is true. There's, there is a story component to the best bullet time sequences. And so, you know, if you go back to Neo and the Matrix, which popularized the effect, but did not invent it, by the way. Mm. Um, the, uh, he's dodging these bullets. And the story is, this dude is faster than a speeding bullet. That's the story that's being told, right? right. The visual, the excitement of that visual is incredible because of the implication that he's moving time. faster than a bullet. Mm. And so it's almost as incredible as like the early films that toyed with the idea of somebody getting shot with a bullet and another guy catching it in, with his finger, like Superman, you know, catching it with his, his fingers. Um, you know, it's like, it's, but it's just such a, it's a much more advanced execution of of that, you know that kind of idea, but there is a story to be told in everything visual, and bullet time is no exception. Now, sometimes you get hired by clients who just want a bullet time moment, and they don't really you, they don't really leverage or utilize that. They don't take advantage of the the power that of of that that story can tell. You know, they don't actually like put effort into the story behind the moment, mm-hmm. um, and so it just becomes a bullet time moment at that point. Which is a manipulation, which is an incredible manipulation of of time and space. Um, what's really fascinating about Bullet Time, by the way, that I think is worth mentioning here, is uh, I work with robotic arms, and I also work with Bullet Time and a couple other special effects, and you know, and um, th- there's a lot of crossover. For instance, like Bullet Time, if you really think about it especially the one with Neo and the Matrix, mm-hmm. is uh, kind of like a camera dolly that's moving really quickly. What happens if you move a camera dolly really quickly, but it shoots at a normal frame rate or a slower frame rate, is uh, the moment gets, uh, or and, and it, you, I'm sorry, if you move it really quickly, but you, sleuch, you shoot at slow motion, what you get is a very fast rotation or a very fast sort of, Uh, movement past somebody but because you were shooting in uh, higher frame rate I'm saying hang on I gotta start over okay let me start over (laughs) we're going back (laughs) going back to the (laughs) if you move really quickly super super quickly with this dolly um, actually let me take it all the way back okay (laughs) So the interesting thing about uh, robotics time. and bullet time and camera dollies the, the they're all very similar they can do a lot of very similar things for instance with bullet time you set up a hundred cameras and you sequentially fire them off one, two three, four, five six, seven eight nine, ten. but if you do it super super fast like ridiculously fast, then you could theoretically capture a speeding bullet now that's not. Nobody does that, by the way. Nobody does bullet time with a speeding bullet. Right, but what you bullet. do is yeah. you do, you know, uh, the actor, Keanu Reeves, doing <laughs> a, bu- a bullet sort of dodge sequence, right? But if you were to, let's say, throw a glass of water up into the air and you, sh- and you sequentially fired off those those cameras on a bullet time rig very, very quickly, then you would essentially be capturing slow motion but it's slow motion with a baked-in camera move. Mm. That's, the, that's how bullet time works. Oh. Bullet time is a camera with baked-in motion. That's the way to think about it. If you have 100 cameras, let's, uh, yeah, let's do 100 cameras, and 24 frames per second, you're getting roughly four seconds of footage from a camera for which you cannot change the motion.
1: Right,
0: because and so it's now taking a picture at the exact same time. Well, that's that's frozen moment, that's when they all fire at the same time. This is sequentially, oh, sequentially, they fire one, two, three, four, five, six. So that's why it's four seconds because there's a hundred, because there's a hundred, yeah, 20, 24, Tw- 20, 25 frames a second, right? You have a hundred cameras, yeah, you know, let's say you have. 120 cameras 30 frames per second that's four seconds of footage right? right so it's four seconds of footage with it but the camera you can't change the movement the movement is baked in because you have to play it back at 30 frames per second right and so if you shoot those very very quickly one after each other you get slow motion and when you play it back you get a super fast dolly move shot in slow motion that's what a bullet that's what a bullet time rig does damn that's, it's essentially down, a dolly yeah. move. So what you could do instead is you could have a camera on a dolly, and you could just move it super quickly, like 200 miles per hour or something <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. And you could do the same thing. You could capture a you know a, a glass of water being flung up in the air and the water flying all over the place in slow motion with a camera move, mm. but. That dolly is very hard to make and it's also dangerous. So that's why you do it with bullet time. (laughs) Exactly. Now, there's the other component of bullet time where it's frozen. And so that's when all the cameras fire at the same exact time. That's my favorite one. And the reason it's my favorite one is because you can't do it with anything else. It's not physically possible. A robotic arm can move very quickly, but it can't move instantaneously. There is a delay between every moment every frame that is shot on the camera on a robotic arm if even if you move at the you'd have to move at the speed of light to be instantaneous but even then you'd only expose one frame right so you're moving at less than the speed of light definitely way less than the speed of sound you're probably moving at a normal couple mile per hour right and you're capturing one a a cup you know at 24 frames a second or 120 or whatever whatever it is it could be a thousand frames per second it's still going to be slow motion with movement, right? It's still not instant- instantaneous. It's still not fast enough, it's still yeah. not instantaneous. But with right. but with a camera array, it's instantaneous. It is the speed of light, but you have multiple camera sensors capturing at the moment at the speed of light at the same time, so it freezes that moment. It's the only way to achieve that effect.
1: That makes sense because camera one is here, camera 30 is over here. And they go at the same time. They go time. at the same time, so they can be at the same place in yeah. the same time.
0: And, and that's basically. what's so cool about multi-camera systems is the fact that they are literally the only uh, visual capture system that can capture a moment, a passing moment, a fleeting moment that will never happen again in the history of the world. They're the only visual system that can capture a fleeting moment at the, from multiple angles at the same exact time.
1: That's heavy, dude. It's pretty cool. It's <laughs> very cool. No, it's pretty it's, it's, it's amazing. pretty
0: interesting to think about it yeah. that way because that because so few people have taken advantage of that fact. Yeah. So few people have actually like the mo- m- what most people want is like can I jump in front of the camera and then you capture me like in the air jump jumping, which is really cool by the way. Which it is the picture that looks looks I'm going to put up there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> me doing that yeah. kick or whatever. But that's mo- that's most of what people do. What what people, you know, what most people don't think about is the fact that you can capture these sort of like these fleeting moments in, uh, in real time from multiple angles and you can use that for more incredible effects. Mm. And so what, what has been really interesting in sort of the bullet time space is video because now what we're doing is we're, we have multiple cameras. We have like 50, 100 cameras, normally, normally less, maybe let's say 50. You have 50 video cameras, they're all synchronized with each other. So every frame on every camera fires at the same exact time, right? And then you take all that footage and you feed it into AI, like a Nerf, or you feed it into photogrammetry, which is a more traditional 3D reconstruction approach. And now you have a soccer game in 3D that you you can put on a VR headset and you can watch people play soccer from any angle, you can move your head. You can move them, and they're they're fully in 3D. Their bodies modeled, everything. They're like a physical object. They're like a statue, a virtual statue in front of you, but with motion, they're moving. Wow! And so this is this is kind of like the future of of bullet time right now. Is almost every bullet time system in the world has been converted, or at least partially converted, hybrided into a uh, photogrammetry system. So, uh, all that bullet time work I used to do, there's not a whole lot of that left now. There's, there's only, there's a little bit here and there, but, uh, most of it has turned into volumetric video. The thing I was talking about where you have 3d models of people moving in, in real time. Uh, you may have seen this like during like basketball games and, and football and soccer under uh, during like um, uh, big events like the Super Bowl or something like that, they'll sometimes play back these volumetric video captures of those big events. Um, uh, and then uh, the, but yeah, most of those rigs have been converted to photogrammetry where now you're like doing 3D scans of people. So you have 100 cameras in a room or 200 cameras in a room. They all fire at the same time. And this person gets digitized into a video game character. Exactly. Yep. And so it's the only type of system that can do that. You can't use a robot arm to do that super effectively. You you can to a certain extent, but those are the best systems in the world at doing it. So yeah, a lot of these bullet time systems that I that I worked on and built over the years to produce these really interesting effects, now they're all doing photogrammetry scanning and they're all scanning for movies and video games and yeah. shows, commercials, all sorts of interesting stuff. So
1: Dude, it's like it's so cool that like all of this knowledge you have is like now getting like it's evolving. It's so evolving. like now you're able to like adapt to those new technologies and like we're getting to a point where like I like I, we have to come to a close just because of space. But like we we like we, I need to have you on for like another episode, <laughs> you know, like a, like a round two and like talk a little bit more about like go into certain things, because it, there's even things that's like you do in your life that we we didn't really get to touch on too much. But like um, like we you know, we didn't talk about like AI and like the strike, um, like things going on like that. Um,
0: we didn't even we didn't even talk about the movie Duelers.
1: We didn't talk about Duelers. Damn yeah. it. Fuck. Maybe that could be like, <laughs> like, because we have like literally like four minutes left on the card. Yeah. So like yeah, maybe like you the a quick, rundown. quick, quick, quick duelers rundown um, before we before yeah. we wrap up. Um, so
0: so like all of all of this. When I said earlier that I that I sort of like fell into the industry and I just started working on Bullet Time and all these different you know documentaries and whatnot. When I say that I had to go back and find myself, it's uh, a couple of years ago. I realized I had not made a film yet and I really wanted to make a film. So I started working on some pilots with friends and we made some cool pilots that we were going to pitch. Mm-hmm. And for one reason or another, those pilots didn't pan out. Not necessarily because we couldn't always pitch them. Sometimes there were like arguments over over the the pilot. There was one pilot that everybody liked so much they argued over it and then we just decided not to make it because it was bad vibes. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so it was... Uh, so then... Ultimately, one of my buddies came to me and he said, "Hey, I got an idea for another pilot." And I said, "How about we just make a movie this time?" And he was like, "Sure, let's just make a movie." I'm like, "Yeah, feature length, not a short film, just nice. a full feature length film." And so we went down the road of um, producing and uh, uh, acquiring funds for, and you know, fundraising, and um, I directed, he wrote. It's all original music. And uh, and it's a film called Duelers, and it's uh, and it's available now. Duelers is available now. We posted it on YouTube, and uh, but pretty soon it's actually going to be um, uh, by th- by the time that this shows, it's going to have been through festival already. We uh, we got accepted to a festival in uh, Naples, uh, nice. Florida, and um, so uh, we're going to be uh, this. This movie was an incredible undertaking. It's a film about. Um, dueling piano players at it's a f- fictional film about dueling piano players at a bar uh that is closing down and but they don't know it yet and it's like the final it's like the last night this bar is going to be sold to another owner and shut down and uh the they eventually find out and their their nightly routines fall into chaos wow. and uh but it's a music film I love so that. the all of the actors uh, and and they perform throughout the entire film. There's there's over twenty original songs in this music film. It's 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 basically a musical, and um, they all performed it live on set. We recorded them on set. And then we mixed and mastered later and we shot everything in real time. So the footage you see of them performing on stage in the movie is actually, actually the real the performance. performances. Oh, that's so and, cool. And all I of love the, that. And all of the music is like was literally recorded on set. Yeah, dude. Um, and so to do that, uh, we had to find people who were capable of performing, uh, performing live uh, very quickly. We only had two weeks to shoot this film. So they had to do it like they only got a couple takes. And uh, we as- we essentially realized that the best people to do it were dueling piano players. So the that. entire cast is made up of real life dueling piano players acting in a film as dueling piano players.
1: I love that so much. Oh, man. Ah, I wish this wasn't ending right now. <laughs> I want to go into this more. I want to have another episode. Dude, for real, though, we have to have another episode. Um, yeah, there's so many things we have to talk about. I'm gonna watch that movie. I'm super interested in it. I I knew that it existed, but I hadn't watched it yet. So I'm mm. super stoked now, kind of getting a background information of it. Yep. Um, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for your time, dude. This has been an amazing, enlightening conversation, like it always is off air, but <laughs> um everybody go go support Christian. It's at Christian Ciceroni on on Instagram. I'll put his handle right here. Um, go check out his companies. Um, what what's the uh, what's websites like you want to like drive people to give me some websites? I mean, uh, your company. Archi.com. archi.com. Yeah, That's that, that's the yeah. company you run with your dad. Yep. Cool. Yeah, that's and,
0: the that's the visual company. And then all of my film stuff is primarily through like my Instagram and my IMDb and all that stuff. You know, my personal webpage. Yes, this man is on IMDb. He is
1: <laughs> legit. Oh, man, I swear. Uh, this is so cool, bro. Um, but yeah, so this has been an amazing episode. Uh, fellow Martians, thank you so much for, for watching. Again, go follow him. Follow me at On Mars Pod, And we will see you next time on Mars. Thank you so much. Love you. Thank you. Say bye to the people. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in and watching this episode of the On Mars Pod and for sticking around to the end, man. I really appreciate you guys. You are the real Martians. Like this video, comment below what your favorite part was, what was most inspiring to you. Subscribe to the channel, hit that bell for notifications here on future interviews coming out soon. And also follow us on Instagram at On Mars Pod. Love you guys so much. We will see you next time on Mars.
0: Clapper and everything yeah, man, we are, we are legit. oh yeah the role of being a calculator was when, was eventually replaced by the calculator because then you could just type in all the numbers and like click plus 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 and it would just like do it for you and and calculation isn't an, is you know like an extremely important thing that needs to be done accurately and we were just able to make computers that did it accurately
1: Yeah, and it's so funny that I uh, we haven't started, by the way, but I might still use some of this just because that was good. That was great.
0: (laughs) Um, But you're going to want to fact check that one. But (laughs) uh, which is like an which is like an incredible thought. How
1: many even if you had a a million
0: people in a warehouse, they wouldn't be calculating faster than your iPhone. Like it just wouldn't happen if that guy like ate that flower and died. Like, I'm not going to eat that flower. Like that flower is probably bad. (laughs)
1: I tell, don't know. What tell it, the tribe.
0: Yeah. We <laughs> haven't invented the word poison yet, but that flower probably has something in it that kills people. So we're yeah. not going to eat that flower. Uh, a handful of these quantum computer- computers around the world are like experimenting with this idea of building a computer out of quantum that that uh, <sighs> that take advantage of this quantum uh, mechanic.
1: This is so far like out of like my understanding of, <laughs> <laughs> of engineering that it's like okay so regular computer yeah. light switch quantum computer dimmer switch basically yeah that's a
0: pretty good way to break
1: it down